how many know that what we enjoy um, today in terms of what we know from the Lord, we are standing on the shoulders of the previous generation? Um, my wife lately, as of late, has been watching uh, John Wimber videos, and he's the leader of the Vineyard Movement, um, which is a big leader uh, during the uh, Jesus Movement in the 70s and 80s. And, um, and it's interesting, if you watch John Wimber, who's a tremendous leader, and just um, in, in being acquainted with the things of the Spirit, if you watch John Wimber, you will realize that a lot of the people that you like, like you know, uh, Bill Johnson, Todd White, Dan Moeller, um, Mike Bickle, these, these leaders, you will see a lot of the seeds, the attributes of John Wimber in these leaders who've become leaders um, uh, today. And in a sense, we, you and I, um, we're standing on the shoulders of the leaders who have gone before us. Amen? And that's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for the next generation, that they would stand on my shoulders and they would go to new heights and they'd go to new depths in the Lord. Amen? Isn't this what you want? And so as we're talking about uh, passing the, uh, the mantle today, I just I, I believe that um, <clears throat> Dustin and Kate and that youth group is going to be standing on the shoulders of what was built before them, and Hannah Hartman and, and Brian are going to be standing on the shoulders of what Evan and Melinda have built. Um, to illustrate this, this point, I have, a, I have a story. And uh, I told this in the first service. I don't know if you know this, Evie. But um, she, I did get permission to tell this story. I asked her permission. Um, my daughter is very honest. She's a good kid. She's a way better kid than I was when I was her age. Way better. And um, this is a fact. And so, like, she tells us things that... Okay, so for example... Um, the other day she comes home and she says, Dad, I have to tell you something. I go, what? She says, uh, the other day I was in school and I was taking a test and there was a question and I couldn't remember the answer and there was a boy sitting over here with, and I, I glanced over and I saw the answer on his paper and I wrote it down. I was like, okay, thank you for telling me, you know, um, thank you for your honesty. Why didn't you know the answer, you know, um, it's not good to cheat, you know, I was trying to do all the right things, you know, tell her not to cheat. <laughs> But then I realized, so oftentimes she'll tell me something she did, and then I tell her another story to make her feel better. So um, I pretty much, I looked at papers all the time when I was growing up. By the way, <laughs> if you're a young person here, I'm not endorsing this. I'm not saying you should cheat. Um, follow me as I follow Christ today. Don't follow me as I followed Christ when I was Amen. junior high, senior high, and, and some of my young adult years. If you knew me in those years, you would be like, you, would under, you, you wouldn't know why I'm up here today. But God did a work in us. Amen? He's done a work in all of us. And so I told her this story. I said, when I was in the ninth grade, um, I was taking a civics class. And um, I had a, a teacher named Mr. Hamilton. And my assignment was to do a, a report on President Harry S. Truman. That was my report. And I was like, okay, got to get the report done. Well, my best friend lived next door. And um, he had a sister that was a couple years older than me. And we were talking about this report. And she goes, who's your teacher? I go, Mr. Hamilton. And she goes, what's, what's the report? I go, Harry S. Truman. She goes, you know what? I had that class two years ago, Mr. Mr. Hamilton. And the report I was assigned to do was Harry S. Truman. And she goes, I still have that report saved on my computer. And she's like, and you know, this is like a 10-page report I had to do. And I'm like, she goes, do you want it? And I was like, yes, I do want it, because I wasn't honest. <laughs> and so 
We go to the computer. She opens up. We copy it verbatim. We didn't change anything, change nothing, just the name and the date. That's the only thing we changed. So I go and I turn it in, and um, I actually ended up getting a better grade than she did. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Same teacher, same report, two years separated. I got, a better, I got an A minus, and she had like a B plus like two years beforehand. And so um, I got a better, well, she got a better grade than she did two years ago, technically. Um, but here's the point. Here's the point. I got credit for something that she worked for. And we, the things that we walk in now, the things we enjoy in the Lord, we're actually getting credit for something that someone else many times did before us. And we want the next generation that goes after us to get the credit for things we have built. I want them to go further, faster, higher. Amen? And so, um, don't cheat. Kids, don't cheat. Cheating's not good. But if you are, at least get an A. Okay. No, don't cheat. Don't cheat. My wife's saying don't cheat. Okay. I'm just going to make a blanket statement. (laughs) Cheating is wrong. Do the assignment. I actually really like President Harry S. Truman. So um, he's one of my favorite presidents. Okay. So we're building on, we're building on the previous generations. The youth is going to build on what's been built. Um, mission is going to be built on what's already been built. Um, a, a couple years ago, uh, the Lord gave me um, a prophetic picture. Um, the Lord oftentimes will you know, give me a picture of something to, to help me understand like where we're at, what we're doing. And he's been gracious to do that in my life. And he gave me a prophetic picture a couple years ago for uh, the trajectory of the church from, from the start um, through its conception, launch, um, he gave me a prophetic picture. And this was the picture that the Lord gave me. Um, one evening, I was watching a, um, just kind of randomly, there was a live SpaceX video uh, launch, a, a SpaceX launch. And I tuned in, and for some reason, I was really drawn to the minute details of that launch. And I've told this story here before. And then about a week later, I, I, I had this, this word recurring in my heart, and the, the word was Miko, Miko. I'm like, what is Miko? And I looked it up, and it means main engine cutoff. And I was like, oh, Miko, that was from that, that SpaceX launch. The Lord was like highlighting this word to me. And what I felt like the Lord was saying is um, that there's, as a church, there's stage one, and then there's stage two. And I preached, I've actually preached on this, how we were passing beyond stage one. And I, I believe we actually are um, that first stage that has gotten us to five years as a church plant. I believe that first stage is pretty much just complete. Good God, I hope it's complete. No one else quit, all right? <laughs> but, um, but we're going to be continuing on in the second stage um, of this church. I, I, can, I can say, I think with confidence, that um, I wouldn't define us as a church plant anymore. I would just call us a church. We're a church, you know? We're not a church plant anymore. We've been a church plant probably for five years. I don't know how long you keep that title, but I think we've moved beyond that. We don't have our own building yet. We rent this facility from another church, but we're saving for it. And bless God, we're going to have one someday. Um, but one thing, and there's a lot I could talk to you about um, that, that illustration that the Lord gave me. But one thing in particular I want to highlight is that, on, um, that the Lord emphasized with me is um, a SpaceX launch versus NASA launch. SpaceX has figured out a way to put vehicles into space, satellites into space, for about a tenth of the cost that NASA does it. NASA is a large entity that they just throw money at. 
there's a lot of bureaucracy there, and, um, and, and Tesla figured out a way to do it for much cheaper. And this is how. One of the main reasons they were able to do it much cheaper, well, number one, it's a, a free, free market. So right there, you know, it's going to be more efficient than government. But the second thing is they figured out a way to reuse the first stage of their rockets. Before NASA would launch these rockets into space, uh, space they would, the first stages would fall off, and they would fall into the ocean. They would go get them, but they didn't reuse them. They basically had to build them again from the ground up. Incredibly expensive and incredibly inefficient. But no one cared because the federal government was just throwing money at the problem, right? Well, when people had to innovate and figure out a more efficient way to do it, they're like, let's figure out a way to reuse the first stage of the rocket. And so Elon Musk and the SpaceX team figured out a way to um, reuse stage one. And I feel like for people who have stepped off of our staff, um, particularly today, but also in the past, that there's a, pro- a prophetic declaration over them that you're, you're not spit up, chewed out, and thrown out, like God's going to reuse you. In fact, yes, perhaps there's a time of uh, refueling, um, getting healed, getting whole, but then be ready because God's going to send you back out to do amazing things for you. Amen? And so um, if you've never seen how they... Uh, reuse stage one, the, the stage one detaches from the, the, the vehicle and they fall back to earth and like magic, these, these stage ones land vertically. It's like magic. Okay. If you've never seen this before, I have a video and I want to show this to you. So go ahead and roll that real quick. There's final burn one and two, two candles coming down. Double sonic booms. With, like, pinpoint precision, it took a lot of work to make that happen. How many have never seen that before, these rockets land vertically? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? So it's a whole lot different than them just crashing back into the ocean, and they're reusable. And we just declare that over those who have gone before us. You're reusable. God's going to build you back up and send you back out. So the the prophetic picture the Lord gave me for us, uh, for the vision of the church, is this SpaceX launch. Um, But then... How many know that doesn't necessarily speak to how you continue to build a church? And the Lord also gave me a picture um, of how to continue to build City Lights Church in the second phase. And in some sense, this is actually more applicable uh, and more useful than, than the, the, the first uh, prophetic picture. But a couple of years, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, um, I was reading in Nehemiah chapter 3, and in Nehemiah chapter 3, it talks about Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem, and they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem because the walls have been torn down, but the, the people come back to the land, and they have to rebuild these walls. And so there's, they had to rebuild 10 gates, um, 10 gates of the city. And the Lord just highlighted to me on the page, this doesn't happen to me that often, highlighted to me on the page that this is a prophetic picture of how he wants us to build a church. So there's 10 gates, um, looking north, so starting at the fish gate, and it goes counterclockwise. Uh, I'm sorry, starting with the sheep gate, and then it goes counterclockwise to the inspection gate. Um, The Lord showed me that these are 10 attributes or 10 gates that he wants us to have open as a church, and I want to, I'll explain here um, in just a minute what those mean. 
um, basically how to build the house of God. How to build the house of God. Notice what's in the middle of, of, of these walls. What's in, this, what's in the middle? The temple, yes. The temple's in the middle. What is inside of the temple? The Holy of Holies. What's inside the Holy of Holies? The presence of God. Okay, that's what's inside the walls. And so um, that's what we want. How do we, how do we build this in such a way that it houses the presence of God? How do we build the house of God? Um, Ephesians 2.22, for those of you who don't know, Ephesians 2.22 has become one of the most important verses of, in the Bible for us as a church. And I'm going to read this here in just a second. It's a paramount verse. Um, Ephesians, so let's start in verse 19. It says this, You, who, uh, you are no longer uh, foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, remember what's inside the temple, the presence of God. Watch verse, verse 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, that's what we want as a church. Our premier value, our, 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 the thing we want to protect the most is the presence of God. Um, I've, I've preached on this before, but there are, there's five dimensions to the presence of God that I can, in my estimation, that I can see. Um, the first one is this. How many know that God is um, omnipresent? In other words, he occupies all space as well as all time. So those are the first two dimensions that God occupies, all space and all time. If you go to the furthest galaxy... On the other side of a planet, there you will find God. He's all, all space, all time. If you go to the lowest depths of the ocean, the highest mountain, God is there. He occupies all space, all time. But how many know that when, as a believer, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how many know that Christ comes to dwell in your hearts? Okay. Now, how many know that that manifestation of him in your heart is different than it is on the farthest galaxy? He, it's, so it's the same presence of God, but he manifests in our heart in a different way than he does on the highest mountaintop or the lowest valley. And then Jesus says this. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. What an interesting way to say that. Like, Jesus, aren't you everywhere at once? Aren't you, aren't you omnipresent? Well, yes, and yes, he lives in our hearts. But he shows up in a different way, a different capacity in groups in two and three. So this is a, a, just a different manifestation of the presence of God. And then it also says in the Bible um, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so he shows up in a different way in a large assembly as well. We're, we're, we're gathered in a large assembly. And we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the way he, the, and I don't know, the, the way he is in your quiet time is unique and you need to have that. And the way he is in groups of two and three is unique and we need that. And the way he is in the large assembly is unique and we need that. There's different manifestation of his presence. But the corporate presence, the corporate presence of God needs to be stewarded and protected. Okay, in the same way that they built walls around the temple to protect the temple, the walls we place around our community protect what we value the most. And so I want to quickly highlight these 10 gates that I just mentioned of Nehemiah. Again, I've preached a whole, I did 11 week series on this um, at the end of 2021, but 
But I would want to just touch on this real quick again. And basically, this is the Lord's how-to for me as a pastor. What's, you know, thank God he's just clear with me sometimes. Not always. And I don't always get it either. But he gave me a really great how-to build in the second stage of this church. And this is the how-to. Okay, 10 gates. Number one is the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where um, we are God's sheep. We're, God's, we're the sheep of his uh, pasture. Uh, the sheep gate is where you, have, where you find community and fellowship and where the spiritual needs of believers are being met. The next is the fish gate. The, the fish gate speaks of evangelism. Jesus said, um, I will make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. We're going to go out and fish. Um, that is evangelism. Then there's the old gate, which is wisdom's gate. How many know that when you get the new fishies, you got to bring them into the church and clean them up? God does most of the cleaning. But then you got to get the young believers around the old believers so that they can mature. The next gate after that is the valley gate. The valley gate is ministry to the brokenhearted. A lot of churches do things well, but they don't know how to minister to the brokenhearted. And that is something that we, I'm not saying we've arrived at this. I'm not saying we're amazing. I'm not saying we're a 10 at this, but I am saying we, we're trying to do this and we want to do it better. Ministry to people coming through broken, low places. Number five is the dung gate, the least glamorous gate of them all. Um, and this is the deliverance gate. How many know that when people come through the valleys and they're coming out of the world, they need to be delivered of their past. And when we're delivered of our yesterday, we can be healed for our tomorrow. And then there's the fountain gate. The fountain gate speaks of empowerment. How many know that we are empowered by the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit? Here at this church, we believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe healing is for today. We believe in prophecy. We believe God speaks to our hearts, and it's so fun. So the fountain gate, the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. Uh, number seven, the water gate. The water in the Bible, um, the water speaks of the word of God, the Bible. We want to be a, a, a church that is about his word. Number eight is the horse gate. In the Bible, horses are, are seen as war animals. And so the horse gate speaks of spiritual warfare. And we need to be a church that possesses spiritual warfare and, and wins battles in spiritual realms. Number nine is the east gate. And the east gate speaks of Bible prophecy. And I believe that spirit-filled, life-giving, uh, empowered churches, one thing we have to constantly remember is looking to the return of our Lord Jesus to this earth. There is something purifying to our hearts about waiting and watching for the Lord Jesus. And so that's important. And number 10, the inspection gate. This is the, the testing gate. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Paul is saying this to believers. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. And so there's something about examining ourselves to, to, to see the genuineness of our faith. And then we're also speaking to one another's lives. In authentic community, um, we have the ability to speak into one another's lives. The Bible says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And sometimes we even have to wound each other a little bit. Um, why? Because we love each other. We want what's best for each other. We don't want to just flatter each other all the time. Amen. And so we inspect ourselves. We inspect each other. And how many know we're getting ready for the final inspection when Jesus says to us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. <clears throat> I believe that when we have these 10 gates in operation, it will unify the body. It will unify the church. And where there is unity, there the Lord bestows a blessing 
particularly his presence. Amen? When God shows up, everything changes. So today, I just want to highlight one of these gates. And from time to time, we might come back and visit these gates. In fact, as a staff, it may be even more advantageous to internally, every once in a while, return to these gates. Hey, how are we doing on deliverance? How are we doing on evangelism? How are we doing on spiritual warfare? We're just checking in every once in a while because I believe that's how we want to continue to build. But the gate I want to highlight today is the sheep gate. The sheep gate. This is, speaks of community and connection. By the way, today we have our city group signups. And if you're not part of a city group, I want to encourage you to um, consider joining one. Again, like I said, there is, um, there's a benefit to being in these rows. God shows up in the assembly of believers. But there's also something that you get out of sitting in a circle that you can't get out of being in a row. And that is being in communion and fellowship with other believers. Um, so after the service, I do want to encourage you to go find a city group and sign up for it. There's also these, um, we have all of our city groups listed on this um, little flyer that we're going to have in the foyers. You can actually go online as well and sign up for a city group that way. But um, I want to encourage you to do that. And so um, community connection and meeting uh, the spiritual needs of people. Sheep are the most mentioned animals in the Bible. They're constantly used as an illustration of God's people uh, for Israel and God's followers, Christians. How many know when you start a church, the first thing you have to do is provide a place for God's flock, for God's people, his sheep. You have to build the sheep gate. In fact, before you can launch out and take on all kinds of passion projects, you must create a place where you're meeting the spiritual needs of believers. Even before you can reach out and do evangelism, before you can reach out and do inner healing ministry, you have to have a place where the spiritual needs of God's flock can be met. You have to have a home base and you have to have a place where people are equipped, equipped to serve, okay? And so um, ministry could be defined as this, meeting people at the point of their spiritual need. That's ministry, meeting people at the point of their spiritual need. Now, sheep are herd animals, and sheep naturally want to coalesce into a group. They naturally want to gather. And here's my point today. Christians should instinctively want to gather, We should instinctively want to get together. Whether you're extrovert, introvert, something innate in you should want to gather with other believers. When you became born again, God gave you a new nature. And that new nature desires and craves fellowship with other believers. Um, Humans in general are community beings. In fact, there's a lot you can find out there. Um, Mental health, physical health. All those things are way better for people when they have happy, healthy, connected um, relationships. And so uh, just the, the um, natural side of us needs that connection. But how much more spiritual? Humans in general need community. How much more God's people um, should God's people want to gather together? Now, I realize this morning I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. You're gathered. Congratulations. Um, but I, here's what I want to warn you with, because I've seen the enemy take people out, and people in our church and, and, and different times, where, listen, if, 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 if you get to the place in your life where you decide City Lights isn't your church, I trust you. I trust the Lord's leadership in your life. But you need to go to church, okay? Go to the church, find a church, be part of that church, 
when, whenever we send people out and they're moving across the country, I'm like, first thing you do, you go find a church. I'm like, go, go try them out until you find the right one. It's so important. I want to warn you that if there's a tendency in your heart to not want to gather with other believers, that should be an indication to you that something is not right on the inside of you that needs attended to. Okay, um, let me illustrate this. Something's, something's off in your heart. Something needs ministered to. Something needs healed. When, how many know that when you're a healthy person, one of the attributes of a healthy person is you have an appetite? Having an appetite is actually a healthy thing. The desire to want to eat food is a healthy thing. Um, how many of you have ever been sick before, like with the flu? 24-hour flu, it's like life-despairing. It is so bad. Um, and how many know that you, you lose your appetite when you're feeling sick? In fact, if you guys left here today and you're just like, I'm not hungry at all. And then later tonight, you're like, I'm still not hungry. And then you woke up tomorrow and you're still not hungry. You would begin to question, like, what is wrong with me? I should want to eat something, right? Okay, this is what it's like with Christians. If there's no desire in you to want to gather with other Christians, you need to ask yourself, what's going on, the, what's going on, on the inside of you? How many know that when you're getting over being sick, you may not even have your appetite back yet, but you're like, I know I should eat something. I need to get something in me, even though the desire is not there yet. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'm saying that if that desire is completely not in you, or you ever get to the place in your life where it is, something is, something is off. Something, is, something needs healed. Um, and maybe, so I'm preaching to the choir here, but also maybe you're watching online and you just don't want to gather. Um, ask the Lord, what is it that needs healed? How many know that if you were a farmer and you had sheep, the sheep like to get together? Occasionally sheep do go astray and you have to get them back together. But if you had a sheep that just never wanted to be with the other sheep, you'd just be like, that sheep's broken. That sheep there is broken. It doesn't have the thing that wants to get with the other sheep, right? Don't be a broken sheep. So I don't know what that might be. If, 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 if you ever have that place or there's not the desire to gather with other Christians. We were on sabbatical on vacation. We were in Hawaii and I was like, I want to go to church. I want to be with other believers. We didn't go, but we thought about it. So <laughs> when we came back, we did actually. We did go to church. At, uh, kind of bounced around, went to a few churches, but... Um, anyway, that desire should be there. So if it's not, it could be you're hurt. Maybe the church hurt you. Get healed. Get over it and go back. Um, you know, uh, maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's in their shame and guilt there. Maybe there's a trauma. Maybe, maybe it's pride. I don't know what it is. You need to ask the Holy Spirit. If you ever get to that place, like, I don't want to go anymore. Ask the Lord why. Um, Ask the Holy Spirit what asks you, um, what makes you not want to gather with other believers. Why? Because we should crave Christian fellowship. Sheep are herd animals. I've used this quote before, but Charles Spurgeon said this Some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, and they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. Amen? Okay. So real quickly this morning, I don't have a whole lot more, but I want to give you two benefits to being in Christian community. Number one, there is protection in Christian community. There's protection. It says this in 1 Peter 5, uh, 
chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, Peter says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Notice that God says, um, God opposes the proud. He stiffs armed the proud. That's kind of what the, that Greek word means. But he gives grace to the humble. He's leaning in. He's giving grace to the humble. It's pride to think that you don't need anyone. The lone wolf is not the way God set up his kingdom. It's pride to think that you don't need anyone. Sometimes we do need solitude. Sometimes we do need to get away. But it's pride to think that you don't need anyone. And watch this, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy of your soul wants to alienate you from your faith, wants to alienate you from your community so that he can devour you. He wants to sow division into, into your relationship so that he can devour you. Um, the, the devil is compared to as a lion looking for some to, someone to devour. How many know that predators primarily go after three groups? The young, the weak, or the isolated? That's what the enemy of your soul will go after. The young and the Lord, the weak and the Lord, and the isolated. There are times where, um, and these are the groups we have to put at the center of our community, the young and the weak. The young and the Lord, we have to make sure they're part of our community and, and watch over them, pray over them, protect them. And then the weak in the Lord, those who have stumbled along the way, and it says in the book of James, if your brother is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, but do this in, in, uh, with gentleness and, and, and respect. And so, um, but here's what I want to say. Even the strong in the Lord are susceptible to the enemy's attacks if they're isolated. You might be the strongest. You might know the Bible inside and out. You might have a great relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. But if you are isolated from a community of Christians, I'm telling you, you are susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. You want to stay connected in Christian community. Okay, so there's protection in Christian community. Number two, there is breakthrough in Christian community. I'll say it like this. There are answers to prayers inside of Christian community. There's something about the power of agreement. There's something about the, the power of um, everyone shooting at the same target. I did a message a couple weeks ago called Abba Father, and we were, uh, we were preaching out of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And Jesus gave us this prayer in Matthew 6. And what I want you to notice about it is that he's speaking of a body of believers, not just individuals, Okay. I want to read this, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus said, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. He says, Our Father, not your Father. In this manner, pray, your father, you know, my, don't just say my father. We, the, way we, the way he gave this, this illustration to pray in this manner, in this pattern, say our father. You can't do that alone. Amen? You can't do that by yourself. 
Okay, so he says our father, and then he says us four times. I want to point out that in many respects, there is a correlation between the kingdom, the power, and the glory of God operating in our lives and being connected to a body of believers. I am fully convinced that we, there are some things that God only makes available to a body of believers that he doesn't do individually. Remember, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Well, isn't he everywhere at once? Well, not. yes, but he also shows up in a different way in the assembly. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the middle of them. He shows up in a different way when we gather in those small groups, when we gather in those large assemblies. And listen, your personal, private, quiet time with the Lord, that is super important. You need all three. You need your, your quiet time with the Lord. That's, the favorite, that's my favorite part of the whole day, waking up and then just being with the Lord. But you also need those groups of two and three, and you also need the corporate assembly. I'm convinced that not everything the Lord has for us we will get by ourselves. Um, in order to illustrate that, I would say um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for example. I don't possess or operate in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit all the time. And some of you are gifted in, in many ways that I'm not gifted. Amen? Um, we need a diverse body. We need a body with with all the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. We need diversity of gifts, and we need diversity of personality types, all those things. Um, same values, but different, different giftings. And so I'm convinced that the Lord, some things he reserves for a group of people. Look at the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day, had Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost had came, they were all together in one place. By the way, wouldn't you hate to miss that worship or miss that prayer meeting? Like you've been showing up for how many days did they meet before the Holy Spirit was poured out? Does, does anyone remember? They were meeting a lot. And then it was the day of Pentecost. Probably, I guess from the resurrection until the day of Pentecost, so 50 days. Um, they, <laughs> they were meeting together. So you wouldn't want to miss that prayer meeting. Okay, verse 2. Suddenly a sound like blowing uh, like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Notice, they're all together, same place, same time, and they all got the same blessing. They all got to receive the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So many times... What we need to remember is that there's a breakthrough in the context of community. I've, got, I've had breakthrough in my own life by myself. I've had breakthrough in those small group settings. I mean, that's where I learned how to like pray over people and prophesize in those small group settings. But I have also received in the large setting some things that I know that wouldn't be available otherwise. Here's what I want to encourage you. There's an intentional posturing by believers to continually go deep into the things of God. There is, a, there is a tendency as Americans, we're very independent, which is a good thing. We're very independent, but we like to build our little kingdoms and our castles, and we have these walls, and there's this tendency not to be in community, not to be vulnerable with people. And um, a lot of the world lives in such a way. They live in community. They live in constant fellowship with one another, and they need one another. We have to resist that um, I love America. I love what this country represents and has done. But we have to resist that temptation to want to just recluse and be in our own little walls. Amen? 
Because what God wants to birth through us, just like he did in the Jesus movement, just like he did through the moves of God in history, he pours it out on a people, not just on individuals. Amen? If you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it talks about the manifestation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about an assembly, a group of people. This is how you flow in these gifts together and, and operate in love. And so that is my encouragement to you today. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we'll release you guys. Again, we have small group signups after service. And uh, if you're not part of a small group, I want to encourage you, jump in one, join one, and it'll be super great. Actually, it might not be great. It might be hard. I don't know. But you're going to get something good out of it. You know, we have our new, we have our new members, um, newcomers night on Tuesday. And one thing I tell newcomers is like, listen, it's only a matter of time before someone offends you in some way. I might, I'll probably say something from the podium you don't like. You'll walk down the wrong hallway. The security will yell at you. So here's my guarantee. We're going to offend you. But if the Lord has called you to be in fellowship with this community, what are we going to do? We're going to work it out. We're going to talk to one another. We're going to give grace to one another. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to love one another. That's what makes the church special. It, it's not that we would never offend each other. Of course we offend each other. We're humans. We're going to offend one another. What makes the church special is our love for one another, that we choose to forgive we choose to release. We choose to let go. We choose to move forward. That's what makes the church special. So why don't you stand to your feet, and uh, we're going to pray, and then I believe Leslie's going to close us up. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for every person here. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you said that the world would know that you were sent from heaven because of our love for one another. I pray that we would be marked by love for one another. And there's something compelling about that, that we would be seen as the real deal when we can forgive, we can love, we can move forward, we can let go. Lord, I thank you for uh, moving in our midst today. We just thank you, Holy Spirit. You are, um, you are welcome in this place, Lord. Deal with our hearts, Lord. Deal with our hearts. We just give past, present, future things to you, Lord God. Do a work and a miracle in our hearts. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.